0: Hello and welcome. My name is Cameron Howell, and this is Turning Point Sermons, and we are sure excited that you're here today. We have a sermon for you today by Pastor Paul Chappell entitled, A Biblical Worldview. I want to speak this morning on the subject of the
1: Christian worldview, and that's a large subject. I've actually preached, I think I preached for three months on it, but in this message we'll touch on some things that certainly uh, should be understood by the time you graduate from college, and so many things are changing Uh, This morning I read an article in Fox News that President Biden signed an executive order to fund surgeries for minor children, 8 years old, 9 years old, uh, who want to remove parts of their bodies to change their sex. Government-funded surgeries. Uh, God says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And uh, uh, this type of of, uh, action by a government is satanically inspired. It's absolutely wicked, and uh, and it is the it is the mantra of the uh, of the new world order. Uh, they are bent on uh, the uh, ecological changes, worshiping Mother Earth, and pushing forth uh, their concepts of uh, uh, the the carbon footprints, and then this matter of the LBGTQ. It's it's amazing, and you need to understand. Uh, where the Bible speaks to these issues. And so we're going to just try to see some of this today. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of being here this morning. Thank you for this wonderful student body. Thank you for those that helped in moving up front and having such a good attitude. We pray that you would help us today as we open your word. Uh, Inspire us, Lord, but instruct us as well uh, in the way that you would have us to go and lead others as well. And Father, we pray that in these next several weeks that we would see the continued moving of your spirit in our student body, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Sometimes when we think about the biblical worldview, we could use the analogy of glasses. How many of you wear glasses? Let me see. How many of you are like me, you wear glasses? All right. So uh, when I take these off, you look so much better. No, not really. Uh, but uh, glasses certainly uh, change our view. Sometimes we use the term of a paradigm, meaning I have a view through my life's experience. I have a view through something that happened to me one time. And, uh, and so the word view is commonly used to explain uh, a position that we hold. Another analogy that can be used in respect to this position uh, is an analogy that relates to construction. That is, how are you going to build your life? What are the foundational pillars of your belief? And construction in the New Testament times and in the Old Testament times as well often involved a cornerstone. Uh, The cornerstone was the most important piece that would be used in the building of a great edifice, including uh, the temple and other great buildings that you might study architecturally. The cornerstone was the biggest stone in the foundation. It was unmovable, once set in place, and it set the direction for the rest of the structure. Now, when we study the Word of God, uh, we find that He gives us a cornerstone, Jesus Christ, He gives us the apostles' doctrine as the foundation. And then we're going to learn at the very end of this message that the church is to be the pillar and the ground of the truth, that that we're to be coming up out of this foundation and out out of this uh, cornerstone and standing up for Jesus Christ in this society. And so uh, as we lift up these truths, we're lifting up God's view on the matter. Now, Satan has constantly fought the truth of God's word. And uh, one of his main tools today is what we would call uh, relativism or the secular view. Relativism uh, is the opposite of the absolute truths that emanate from the cornerstone and from the apostles' doctrine. Relativism is that which acquiesces to, uh, to uh, humanism, to human thought. And sometimes we see today a form of what is called syncretism, where uh, in the church there is the acceptance and the promotion of the secular worldview, and it's very sad to see that. It's very sad to hear of churches that are going woke and are parroting uh, the social justice movement when they should be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you've got to have your understanding of your foundation in life, or you'll graduate from West Coast Baptist College, and instead of lifting up a straight doctrine, you're going to be veering off to one way or another because you did not clearly understand the biblical basis for your beliefs. Uh, God, God teaches us some very important truths with respect to what we're to be lifting up. For example, uh, God teaches us that the chief end of man is to glorify God. We're here to bring glory to him. The secular worldview teaches that uh, we're to glorify self. It's all about self. It's all about lifting up self. Uh, God's view is that uh, we are to live a holy life, a life of sanctification. He says, be ye holy, for I am holy. But the secular worldview emphasizes living a happy life. If it feels good, do it, they tell you. God's word gives us absolute truth. Relativism uh, compromises and denies truth. Uh, God's view uh, gives us uh, the truth that emotion, Uh, is wonderful, uh, and that emotion is a byproduct of understanding of truth. Uh, The secular view teaches that emotion is foundational. If it feels good, do it. The Bible teaches us that uh, we're responsible personally for our sin. In fact, it goes so far as to say that we'll stand before God one day uh, for these matters. Uh, the, The secular worldview teaches that it's not uh, an issue that is, res- that I'm responsible for, but that it's someone else's fault. It's because of my dad left me. It's because I'm raised in this situation or that situation. Uh, God's Word teaches us that we need forgiveness, that we need redemption. Uh, the secular view uh, is that man is fine, and uh, you don't, you don't need religion or God. Uh, God teaches that we need to repent. The Word of God teaches repentance or a turning to God and, and a recognizing that we're sinners, and we need a Savior. The world teaches tolerance. You don't need to repent of anything. Just tolerate everybody and every kind of a sin. And the more you grow in the Lord and the more you listen to what's happening in the culture, you realize, wow, uh, the biblical worldview is completely the opposite of the direction of the world in which I live today. And the more relativism or humanism is emphasized, uh, the more uh, we see uh, in our culture a shifting away from this biblical truth and sadly churches that begin to be influenced by relativism that become woke or begin to parrot uh social justice issues many of those churches are weakening and losing members who do understand what the bible says and by the way i'm glad they lose members and i hope they come to good fundamental churches like the ones you're going to pastor someday In fact, there was a study done by one group just a few months ago, and they studied the Presbyterian Church of the United States of America, which is one of the more liberal denominations in our country. And they were studying to find out why that denomination year after year is losing three, four, five percent of their attendance across the board. What in the world is going on? And the study concluded that the primary reason for the, the decline was that the laity had a lack of conviction that Jesus alone was the means of salvation. In the Presbyterian Church of the USA, they've gotten so woke talking about saving the earth, talking about saving the whales, talking about discussions with LBGTQ, talking about ordaining women, all of these different types of things to the point that the laity said, whatever happened to the doctrine that Jesus Christ is the Savior? Why don't we talk about stuff like that anymore? And because of the liberalism, they're losing people out of the church because they're no longer standing for what the Bible says. And Paul spoke about this very, very trend in Galatians 1 and verse 6 when he said, I marvel that you are so soon removed uh, from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So how can you avoid accommodating theology to the worldview that is not biblical? And I believe the answer to that is to build your life on the rock Christ Jesus, to understand who he is and to understand his truth and to realize that we have a cornerstone that is immovable and we do not want to remove ourselves from the truth. I believe this nation was established on these principles. John Quincy Adams wrote, the highest glory of American Revolution is that we join together government with the principles of New Testament Christianity. Our founders were not perfect. They were not all saved, but most of them were. And they wanted a country that was reflective of these Biblical principles that we're going to speak about even this morning. And I believe there's a direct decline, uh, 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 a direct connection between the decline of faith in a country like ours and freedom in a country like ours. When people move away from the faith, you're going to see a decline in the freedoms that we enjoy. Uh, One research group, the Barna Group, said that the decline of Christian identity is particularly pronounced among younger Americans, and fully one-third of those, 35 and younger, report no religious affiliation. In other words, about 30, maybe 40 percent of people your age have no cornerstone no foundation. They don't understand what you're trying to raise up. And tragically, that statistic is true even in the evangelical church. There are many, many young people sitting in churches who have no idea what they believe. And they have no idea when they hear these messages parroted. I saw an Adidas commercial last week selling tennis shoes. And they said, Uh, making great strides and standing up for young men and young women. And then they said, and for transgender. And when that was said, I thought to myself, there'll be so many millions of teenagers who think, yeah, that's fine. Uh, Everybody has a place, and that's all right if you want to live that way. Well, is it truly all right for the Bible-believing Christian? And if not, why not? What does the Bible say? And so I want you to notice with me this morning some truths that I trust will help you to stand for the truth in your life because the acceptance of relevance is the rejection of christ the acceptance of humanism is the rejection of christ and so let's notice first of all this morning, the reliability of the cornerstone. What about this idea that Jesus is the cornerstone of all truth? What about this idea that the apostles' doctrine is foundational for our truth? Well, the reliability of the cornerstone must never be uh, misunderstood. We must understand the cornerstone was costly. First Kings five seventeen. they brought great stones, costly stones and huge stones to lay the foundation of the house. And this cornerstone, Is reliable for two or three very important things. I think, first of all, it's reliable for an identity. Jesus gives us our true identity. We are found in Him. The cornerstone represents the starting place. The cornerstone represents who we are. And from, from, from the cornerstone, Jesus, everything else that is important about us will emanate. Psalm 11 and verse 3 says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And so we want to stand firm on the foundation of Jesus Christ and the apostles. We see that the foundation of true Christianity, the rock on which our hopes are built, is the only hope of a. Ascend- That's why we sing songs like, on Christ the solid, rock I stand, all other ground is what? Sinking sand. Now, it wasn't uh, necessarily named this way when that song was written, but that sinking sand would include relativism. It would include humanism. It would include atheism. All other ground is sinking sand. So we identify with Christ, our cornerstone. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 9 says, we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. And we are built upon Jesus Christ and the apostles. Secondly, uh, this cornerstone provides for us unity. It is that which frames us together. We are connected. Uh, We are built up, Peter says, as a spiritual house. And we are to be connected to Christ and to one another through Christ. And the Bible says here in the text this morning, verse 21, in whom all the building fitly framed together. We are in Christ and what a tremendous blessing to think of that last week the cultural research center said that only 2% of parents of children 13 and younger hold to a biblical world view only 2% of parents of children 13 and under that means that the 98% of the parents that you're going to see out on soul winning and inviting people to easter they have no connection no idea of an identity in Jesus Christ. They have no understanding of how it relates to everything else that they believe. Peter said in 1 Peter 2 and verse 4, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, behold, I lay in Sion's chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be Confounded. If you are a true believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, indwelt by His Spirit, filled with His Word, you will not be drawn away into atheism, relativism, humanism, and all of the rest. And many times people from churches that can renounce their faith, and we're seeing now, Entire documentaries now on the Discovery Channel about the Hillsong Church and about the great immorality flooding that church, and the fact that they were copying the music of the secular world, and they admit it, and they were copying chords, and it's documented simply to try to create a worldly feeling within the church. It's becoming very well known uh, amongst many Christians today that the entire church was nothing but a farce. And why did their music director say, I don't believe in Jesus, and I never did? Why? Why? Because he was attracted to emotion, he was attracted to music, but he never was truly converted. And if you're truly converted, the Bible says, you will not be confounded. You are going to be able to stand on truth, not emotion. And so we see that there's a unity that comes to people who believe on Jesus Christ they have truly been converted. We are framed together. We become a spiritual house. Notice in your notes, 1 Peter 2 and verse 5: ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And so, This cornerstone, it gives us an identity. Now I belong to Jesus, Jesus belongs to me. The cornerstone gives us an identity. The cornerstone gives us a unity. What unifies us? Why did your pastor recommend you to West Coast Baptist College? Because we believe in the cornerstone, the apostles' doctrine. We're bound together by the doctrine of the word of God. We have an identity, we have a unity. Thirdly, we have direction. And the cornerstone gives direction to the entire rest of the structure. And Jesus is the preeminent one who gives us direction in our lives and in our church. Now, when we moved to Lancaster, for the first little while, we lived in a little apartment uh, downtown and I won't go all into it. It was very, very small. And, and then the Lord let us uh, purchase a home, and we were just so excited. It was a miracle. Some friends helped us get the down payment. It was just amazing. And then our family began to grow. So we bought, a, we bought another home, and uh, this home was a larger home, but it needed a lot of work. And so uh, we decided that we were going to wallpaper some of the rooms. I don't think they do a lot of wallpaper these days. It's usually a lot of paint. But uh, my wife, uh, Mrs. Chapel, she grew uh, up in the home of a contractor. And so I was uh, just gonna help with the wallpaper. Really, my mind was totally focused on, on ministry and I was trying to be a good husband and help with wallpaper and stuff, but my mind wasn't on that. And so I just started putting the wallpaper in the corner of the bathroom and then it was gonna come all the way around the bathroom. And, uh, and, and she said, no, 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 don't do that. She said, you never start wallpaper from the corner. She said, She said, my dad taught me that most of these sheet rockers, uh, they don't have a straight line on the corner, and there's usually maybe a half an inch or sometimes even an inch of variation. And she said, if you line up the wallpaper in the corner, by the time you get around this bathroom, many times the wallpaper can be maybe even a foot off and crooked coming down the wall. You never start with the corner. She said, you always snap a line on the wall. And she produces out of her little tool bag that she had uh, this uh, silver case with a string and it had purple chalk and she had me to hold it up on the top of the ceiling and then she pulled it down to the floor and then she snapped the line. And that line became the beginning point for the wallpaper which at the end of the day was completely perfectly matched on the other side. Students, our line is Jesus Christ. And the only way that we can be living with the right direction in our lives is that we are fully identified of finding our unity and direction in life from the teachings and the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see the reliability of the cornerstone. Secondly, I want you to see the revelation of the cornerstone. Let's just take a quicker look at the revelation. We see in the text the identity of the foundation, the Bible says, now therefore, uh, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So, the church of God, apart from the person of Christ, is a useless structure. And we see here that we find uh, our identity, but we also find uh, our teaching in the doctrine uh, of the apostles, our identities in Christ. But we find that the apostles laid down the doctrines for us. Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And then, of course, Matthew 16.18 tells us, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, a Petros, And upon this rock, Petra, Jesus, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So you have the apostles' doctrine as the foundation. You have Jesus as the rock or the cornerstone. And we see this identified in the Scripture. Psalm 118, 21, I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused has come to the head, stone of the corner. And Jesus Christ is revealed to us as the stone, the cornerstone. We have the reliability of the cornerstone. We see in the scripture the revelation of the cornerstone. But now we come really to the heart of our message this morning, and that is the rejection of the cornerstone. We see that throughout history, truth has been rejected by a sinful mankind. And we know that the cornerstone has been rejected. In fact, Jesus said when he came into Jerusalem, he said, I, I wanted to call you under the kingdom and unto the Father, but you would not, which is a great illustration of the free will of man, exercised and expressed in the fact that they would not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has been rejected historically, and what you need to understand is that as your generation is rejecting Jesus, is nothing new. The the generations before have rejected Jesus. Notice in your notes, Acts 4 and verse 10. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation by any other, for there is none other name given under heaven, given among men, whereby you must be saved. They rejected the stone in the first century. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Throughout the Roman Empire, Christians were rejected, Christ was rejected. And throughout the dark ages, people like the Anabaptists and the Waldensians and uh, people like the Albigenses who believed uh, in Jesus Christ and and did not follow the, the papacy and did not follow after the sacraments, they were burned at the stake, they were thrown into the rivers, they were sawn asunder because Jesus Christ and the doctrine that he alone brought salvation was hated by the false church during the dark ages. And so... Jesus Christ and the doctrines of Jesus Christ have been rejected throughout history, but that brings us this morning to this subject. Jesus Christ is being rejected in our day as well. And I want you to understand that the whole, uh, the, the whole reception of many of the ideologies of your day with respect to uh, ideology that is against the Word of God is fundamentally a rejection of Jesus Christ. It is these that are saying, I reject the way that God made me. I reject what the Bible says here and there. These are people who have rejected Jesus Christ. Now, I I could give you so many illustrations, and you could give me some. I remember years ago, in our county, L.A. County, we had a county seal, and on the county seal was a cross, and it wasn't necessarily representative of the Baptist history of our state. The, The history of the state of California is Catholic. And uh, Spanish explorers came into Mexico and they brought the Catholic faith and they began to come up uh, through Mexico and up into California, San Diego, uh, into Los Angeles, into Santa Barbara. All of these cities were mission cities initially. There was a cross. What does the cross represent? To the unsaved man, they don't know the difference really, many of them, between Baptist and Catholic. They just know the cross represented Jesus Christ. And so here comes. Uh, an edict through the county that the cross must be removed and they removed the cross we went down and protested it but they removed the cross because it represented Jesus Christ Uh, we saw it again this hatred for Christ during COVID we saw as people came into our church and find us simply for having services to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a rejection uh, in this day in which we live. There is uh, a, a, a continual rejection of the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. And oftentimes the world raises up uh, its own false religions. And the Bible says of Christ in 1 Peter 2 and 7 Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which are disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And and we see that to those that are disobedient, they don't receive the stone, Christ, as their cornerstone of their life. They reject The cornerstone this has been happening for hundreds of years and it's going to be ramping up between now and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and I want to give you this morning uh, maybe a six-fold indication of how we see the biblical worldview and our Lord Jesus Christ being rejected in society today I want you to notice in your notes first of all we see it in the rise of atheism and humanism in America the Humanist Manifesto, which is a document written by religious and educational leaders, the Humanist Manifesto 3 says, as non-atheists, excuse me, as non-theists, we begin with humans, not God, nature, not deity. Now this is signed even by members of the clergy. As non-theists, as people who deny God, we begin as humans, not God, our, our beginning, we believe, is all about humans. It did not uh, take God to bring us into existence. This is why I'm saying to you, that those who are rejecting truths that we hold dear are rejecting God in the first place. In other words, if you're gonna hold to evolution as your basis for how you got to this planet, it's a good indication that you reject God and the claims of the word of God. Um, Man is their cornerstone. They are their own cornerstone. They are building their lives on their own thoughts based upon what they believe with respect to uh, their particular views of life. Romans 121, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. This speaks of the humanists, and it speaks of the atheists. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was what? Darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Secularists see belief in God as a great obstacle to human progress. We believe that a faith in Jesus Christ is the only hope of humanity. Rejection of God's account of creation is the second one. I want you to notice this. The rejection of God's account of creation. The, really the cornerstone to many people of biblical worldview is where did we come from? And we believe in the beginning God created. And yet, uh, we see that being wholly rejected in our culture today. Psalm 119 verse 89, Forever O Lord thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth and it abideth the heavens declare the glory of god and the firmament showeth his handiwork Uh, you see uh, we believe in the beginning god let's say that together in the beginning god created but uh, one nobel prize recipient said it this way in the beginning there was an explosion in the beginning, there was an explosion. I believe the rejection of the creation account is an indication of a world that rejects God. And our biblical worldview helps us to know that we're not here by accident, that God created us. Notice thirdly, the replacement of biblical truth with false social justice movements. Now, we're seeing that Your generation has a heart to defend people, to help someone that appears to be uh, mistreated, and there's some good to be said for that. But it also has become a trick of the devil to get Christians involved in demonstrating against things that God has ordained. Let me explain this to you. I want you to understand uh, that uh, God's Word does teach that all men are created equal. How many of you thank God for that? Psalm 82 verse 3 also says that we're to defend the poor and the fatherless. Proverbs 21 3, do justice to the afflicted and the needy. Psalm 41 1 Blessed is he that considereth the poor, the Lord will deliver him out of his trouble. Uh, and and we have just stated that we believe that God uh, has created us in his image. Now, we believe that we're created as a human race, we have a human nature. No race is more important than another. We preach against racism. We know that slavery was sin. But the current secular concept tends to place people in a victim category, sometimes for unbiblical behavior. So, what is happening today is that, yes, we're all created equal, but what is happening today, when someone's living an unbiblical lifestyle, the current trends of social justice want to give them an elevated place in society that God's Word does not agree with. Many times, these groups want outcomes guaranteed. Uh, In fact, we're learning now about something called ESG, which speaks of environmental social justice governance, and that is that people who can claim intersectionality will receive lower interest rates and higher opportunities in hiring. And there's a tremendous amount of discrimination coming into the world uh, against those who hold to oftentimes a biblical world view. Now, these folks who want to promote that, uh, that uh, LBGTQ is a civil right Uh, rather than a choice that they're making. These folks that want to promote uh, evolution or want to speak against Jesus or take the cross down, all of these who deny the biblical worldview, uh, many of them are claiming that because they're anti-Christ or anti-family, that they oftentimes feel microaggressions at work. And they're claiming that they need to have Uh, a better civil rights, and and, uh, they're oftentimes claiming that uh, if they are a minority and gay, that they have an intersectionality that grants them a greater influence in the world just because of that. And again, that is the opposite of the Bible's teaching that all men are created equal. And this victim class in America is growing daily. Lawsuits are filed daily, frivolous lawsuits, and yet the courts are granting many victories in this area. And if you're a believer who stands up and says, wait a minute, that's your choice to live that way. Wait a minute, I don't want my tax dollars to remove the breasts of a young girl. I don't believe that's right. And I called my congressman this morning and said, we need to do something about this. If you stand up and speak against these trends, you become the bigot. You're the racist bigot if you stand up and speak against removing the breasts of a girl or the genitalia of a young man. I want you to understand that if you intend to believe and preach a worldview, you will likely be the bigot in your city someday. Oh, I'm I'm, going to go the Hillsong route then. Let's just turn the music up, baby, and just bring everybody in and have a concert. Oh, what about preach the word? Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and resort. Are there any men of God in this room? Anybody going to stand for the biblical worldview, or are we just going to acquiesce? Relativism. Thomas Sowell, who is a black professor at Stanford and one of the wisest men in our country, said, They say that they want a level playing field, but really they're tilting the playing field. They are trying to affect the oversights of God. And we have seen authors uh, in so called evangelicalism who are be- beginning to puppet this social justice theology and who view the social justice. Uh, like those of old who practiced a form of social gospel. They kind of taught that if you give bread and if you go to the mission and sing and do this, that's the gospel ministry. If you do not share the death, burial, and resurrection and call men to turn to Jesus Christ, you are not doing gospel ministry. Amen. Gospel ministry must involve the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's right. That's right. And so many men today and even some young independent Baptists are Unwittingly getting involved in uh, a philosophy of relativism rather than holding firmly to the truths of the Word of God. The Wall Street Journal reported that at the, the Department of Homeland Security recently, their diversity trainers were teaching a session on microaggressions. And they said, if people say, I believe the most qualified person should get the job, they are racists. If you say, the most qualified person should get the job. You're a racist, okay? Now, all men are created equal. God gives each person opportunity. And, and yet, those that worship the social justice ideology are standing up firmly against the truths that God's Word taught. One theologian named Vadi Bauckham wrote, it's toxic terminology. He, he also happens to be a, a black author and theologian, Oxford-trained man. Uh, a man who really proves what I'm trying to preach to you today. And uh, Vadi Bakum wrote, it's toxic terminology when you look at a prominent social justice groups and the issues they are fighting for, same-sex marriage, abortion, affirmative action for women, and select minorities, redistribution of justly earned income or power. It's clear that these are toxic to our culture and incompatible with biblical understanding of true justice. And what I'm preaching to you about this morning is the biblical understanding of true justice as opposed to the world's concept of social justice. Uh, Social justice as state redistribution of advantages and resources is essentially socialism and or Marxism. And social justice does believe in the redistribution of wealth. And this is something that's being very much discussed at the corporate level, Wells Fargo Bank, Bank of America. It's discussed in, in the Democratic Party at length. Things are being pushed today. And America right now is on a trend toward socialism, uh, which is uh, oftentimes, again, an anti-God philosophy. One of the founders of the Black Lives Movement, whose name is Patricia Collars, uh, said, we are trained Marxists We are versed on ideological theories. In other words, they want to take away from men and women who have worked and saved, and they want to redistribute that wealth. They make no apology about it. By the way, uh, I I like to ask some of these people, how much of the money that you're getting from AT&T and Disneyland, how much of that money, BLM, do you give to poor black people? They're paying people to march in the streets, they're paying people to, to destroy Starbucks and police cars, but are they helping anybody who needs food, you see? And that's the problem with Marxism so oftentimes, The BLM website, which has, I think, been removed since this was posted, but for some of you young people who have questions and you want people to have equality, we believe in that. We want to help people. I'll talk about that in just a moment, what biblical social justice is or biblical justice is. But the BLM website says, we make space for transgender brothers and sisters. Now remember, if, you're, if Jesus Christ is your cornerstone, you're going to be fitly joined together. You're going to make space for people and be together with people who love Jesus and hold to the doctrine of the apostles. But if you reject the cornerstone, then you're gonna make space for your transgender brothers and sisters. You do not have Christ in common. You have the ideology and the doctrines of this world in common. And the BLM says, we foster a queer affirming network. And yet I know of independent Baptist young people who were marching in BLM marches. They were marching with queer affirming people. Ladies and gentlemen, the queer-affirming philosophy is a society-destroying philosophy. And if the foundations be destroyed, what can the people do? And so we have seen in the social justice an alignment that comes together of people that are anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-creation, anti-family, and then they're saying, hey, be sure to tag us on social media, Hey, be sure to put this on your social media and there's a lot of pressure that comes on your generation to do this virtue signaling and to somehow identify with a philosophy that if you'll study the roots of it is not a biblical philosophy, it's not uh, a biblical worldview, you're leaning into a secular worldview. So let me tell you a few things about true justice. First of all, true justice is ordained of God. It is found at the cross. Biblical justice is based on God's character, not the winds of culture. And we must speak against the winds of culture. Let me give you a good example of biblical justice speaking against culture. William Wilberforce and John Newton. William Wilberforce was a British parliamentarian who felt that slavery was sin. Is everybody with me? Say amen. Amen. Slavery, he said, was sin. The culture of slavery was prevalent throughout the British Empire. William Wilberforce, for years, and with the help of John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, they began to pen articles, they began to work against uh, this concept of slavery. They felt, because all men were created equal, that this was wrong. They were not advocating for the sins of those who may have been in slavery. They were not advocating for same-sex marriage. They were not advocating for surgeries on nine-year-olds. They were advocating for the freedom of these people. And with a biblical basis that all men are created equal, they stood against slavery, and they fought until finally it was outlawed in the British Empire. And they learned right and wrong from the Bible. So if we take biblical principles and we enact something, whether it be a a woman's right to vote or whether not a woman's right to choose because God gave that life. Everybody with me right here? What does the Bible say about life? We're going to go with that. What does the Bible say about a woman's intellect and ability to think and, 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 and ponder? And, and so they should vote. And what does the Bible say about a slavery? It is a sin. So what are we saying? If there's a biblical precedent, yes, the church can speak into that issue. But where does the whole idea of right and wrong come from? It comes from God. That's why C.S. Lewis wrote about his conversion. My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. And how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of straight. What was I comparing the universe with when I called it unjust? Justice requires a standard, and there is no objective standard in a purposeless universe. We have an objective standard, and that is Jesus Christ, the doctrine of the apostles, the word of God, from whence comes our biblical world view. And true justice will never be known until someone comes to the cross of Jesus Christ. What is true justice? True justice is found in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. It is only by the blood that someone is justified. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace, we have redemption through Christ Jesus our Lord. So let me say this very clearly. The church that neglects sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ is neglecting true justice. Because there's no justice for that little 10-year-old until he has his sins forgiven and a home in heaven. To be justified before God comes from Jesus Christ. So do you want to spend your whole life marching down the street carrying a sign with people who are queer and having abortions and deny evolution? Do you want to spend your life doing that? Or do you want to spend your life teaching people that they can be saved through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ? It just really depends on your worldview, doesn't it? It really depends on who you're fitly joined together with. It really depends on your relationship to the cornerstone. That's why we have a bus ministry. It is a ministry of biblical justice. That's why George Mueller founded the orphanages that he founded. It was a ministry to bring biblical truth to his generation. That's why a classmate of mine from Bible College has spent the last 39 years with her orphanage in Costa Rica, bringing the love of Jesus, which is the avenue by which someone knows true forgiveness and justice. Don't waste your lives in what the world calls the social justice movement, which is anti-God, anti-Christ. Give your life to the cause of the cross of Jesus Christ. Scriptural justice isn't burning a flag or yelling at somebody in the street. That's not God's view of justice. Scriptural justice is taking the love of God and the gospel of God to your neighbor. And if you want to do that with some bread or a pie, or if you want to feed the poor in the process, that's all good. But never neglect the giving of the gospel, which is the foundation for true justice in the world today. James 2 and verse 8. If ye fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You do well. But if ye, respect, if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin, and are convicted of the law as transgressors. Let me just say this. I get worried about Baptists who get so excited about giving out food and painting a building, but they've never one time told their neighbor how to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's a good indication of the philosophy of that life and many times of their church. And sadly, many churches have become involved in this woke movement, this social justice movement. Many churches have gotten so involved in it they don't preach against the sins of the day, such as transgenderism, such as atheism or humanism. They're not speaking about what is going on. I was with a group of congressmen um, Monday in a meeting, and a group of pastors and some congressmen were there and And some of those leaders stood up, and one with tears just said, where are the leaders in the church today? Why why aren't you men speaking about what's going on in our society today? Why is the church so silent? And it's not that we can preach every sermon against the sins of the day. We must help families, which I did last Sunday morning. We're going to celebrate the resurrection, but... If the church leaders are not speaking truth on these issues, who will? In fact, John Adams said, It is the duty of the clergy to accommodate their discourses to the times, to preach against such sins as are prevalent, and to recommend such virtues as are most wanted. Is everybody with me this morning? Our country was great when preachers spoke to the needs of the hour. One author said this, listen carefully. Social justice, in the world's usage of the term entails political ideas that are deemed sophisticated, namely identity politics, critical race theory, the redistribution of wealth, and other radical social policies. Those ideas were first popularized and propagated in the secular academy, where they are now regarded as received wisdom and have become a dominating part of popular culture. Listen carefully. Evangelicals who are chasing the culture are latecomers to the party of those who advocate social justice. In other words, pastors and churches that are parroting these social justice philosophies are just entering into a party of worldliness. And the fact of the matter is that there was a day when the culture was being influenced by the church, but now the, uh, the church is being influenced by the culture. And if we're ever gonna see culture change, it will happen one soul at a time. One person having a complete metamorphosis at a time their worldview changing because of the presence of god in their life and that's why you need to stay with the true gospel and that's why several years ago i became so concerned and preached messages against uh, some of this gospel-centered movement because i saw it for what it was it was social justice movement it was not always about preaching the death burial, and resurrection of jesus christ and some of the very proponents of that movement are believers in theistic evolution, they are believers in the redistribution of wealth, and that's now coming to light with certain authors that I could mention. The point is, don't settle for a substitute. Keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look in your notes at Galatians 1.8. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have preached, that we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And so we're showing you some of the indicators of a falling worldview in our nation and why we need to stand for these truths. First, there's the rise of atheism. Second, the rejection of creation. Third, the false view of the social justice concepts. Fourth, there is the replacing of the biblical description of gender. And I'll hurry now, but listen carefully. Genesis 127, so God created man in his own image. The image of God created he him male and female created he them let's say that together male and female created he them i read this two weeks ago but let me read this to you from abigail schreier in 2007 america had one pediatric gender clinic today there are hundreds testosterone is readily available to adolescents from places like planned parenthood and kaiser often on a first visit without even a therapist's note. How did we get to this point? Listen, how is it that we are all supposed to pretend that we only know that I'm a woman if I tell you my pronouns? How did we get to an America in which a 13-year-old girl in Washington state can begin gender-affirming therapy without her parents' consent? How did we get to an America where a 15-year-old in Oregon can undergo top surgery, elective double mastectomy without her parents' permission, paid for by Joe Biden? How did we get to that place in our country? We got to that place because of Christians who stopped preaching and believing the whole counsel of God. The sexual revolution is demanding a reordering of the entire society we live in today. In France last year, they outlawed the terms mother and father. When you bring your kids to school, you introduce yourselves as parent one and parent two. In California... When a child is born and the parents' names are placed on the birth certificate, it's no longer mother and father. It's parent one and parent two. In California and many other states, there are women giving their bodies, giving their bodies to bring birth from homosexual men so that those men can raise those children as parent one and parent two in the United States of America. The vision for the LGBTQ movement centered on a comprehensive reorientation of the societal norms that had governed humanity since Adam and Eve. In other words, they make no bones about the fact they want to completely change the entire society in which we live. And Isaiah speaks to this, Isaiah 520. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness and put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I want you to understand... That the social justice movement, which includes this transgenderism, is completely anti-God. And if you're any kind of a preacher someday, you'll stand and preach what the Bible says on these very issues. Number five, we see the refusing to acknowledge life and the life of the preborn child. Abortion is one of the main indicators of a world turning against biblical worldview. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. You better get this as a conviction. And you better not be one of these fundamentals that says, well, well, why do, why do you believe abortion's wrong? Because my preacher said. You better take these notes, underline these verses, put them in the fly leaf of your Bible. Don't just get off and just start quoting some things that somebody else said. You better know what you believe from the Word of God or it's not your personal biblical worldview. Well, why won't you watch this movie with me? Why don't you go watch this movie? Because the college won't let me. How about the fact that the Bible says, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. Yeah. Get some personal conviction in your crawl while you're in this Bible college. Amen. We don't watch it because it's wrong. Right. We don't support it because abortion is murder. Amen. We don't have those weddings in our church because God does not recognize this as a wedding. He created male and female That's right. if you don't get your biblical worldview while you're in this college we have failed in the process of our education psalm 139 i've quoted we're fearfully and wonderfully made marvelous are thy works i remember when barack obama was appointed or, or uh, was uh, elected as our president and I, I for, for days and days, every, every move he made, I wrote them down, it was amazing. The very first presidential edict, the, the very first uh, uh, presidential order that he signed was this, to fund abortions in Africa. That was the very first one. It is a part of their worldview. It is a part of their religion the number one priority was to fund the taking of preborn life. Number six, the sixth indication of a world turning away from God is the refusing of the rights of Israel. Genesis 12 and verse 3, I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. A few weeks ago when I was preaching in uh, Washington, D.C., I, I, was, I had a meeting one afternoon briefly with a man named Trent Franks. He was a long-time a congressman from, uh, from Arizona. And he wanted me to meet a man named Eli Gold, who's a Jewish man. He has something called the Gold Institute and they write uh, papers, uh, positional papers for Israel and their relationships with America. And I was, I gave him a gospel track. I was kind of telling him where we came from on some things and how we supported Israel. And I said, you know why President Truman in 1948 wanted to be the first world leader to accept relationships with the state of Israel after Ben Gurion declared Israel a state. I said, Do you know why Harry Truman made that decision? He said, Well, I might, but why did he make that decision? And I said, He made that decision because Harry Truman said that he was taught in his Baptist Sunday school that the land belonged to Israel. God bless the teacher of a 10-year-old who helped a future president to have a biblical world view. Don't tell me that being a teacher in some Christian school is sort of a not such a great thing. Don't tell me that these college teachers are not living a high and noble calling. Don't tell me that your work in the ministry is not that important. Training a generation with a biblical worldview could save millions of lives physically and hopefully spiritually as well. Amen. Amen. The biblical worldview really matters. Yes, the world is rejecting the biblical worldview, but the church must not reject the biblical worldview. Romans nine and thirty-three, as it is written, "Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed." And I close with this: What is the primary institution for the propagation of the biblical worldview? It is not the Democratic Party, and it's not even the Republican Party. Amen. What is God's institution for lifting this truth up? Turn, if you would, to First Timothy 3:15 and we'll be done. First Timothy 3:15. But if I tarry long, Paul says to Timothy, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Say it with me. The pillar and the ground ground of truth. Now listen very carefully. Think about what you're training to do. And I know there's other Christian colleges where you can train to be a physical therapist, a police officer, all kinds of other stuff. Good for them. But what are we trying to do here? Well... First, Jesus is our cornerstone. If you can say amen to that, say amen. amen. Okay. The apostles' doctrine, the word of God, our foundation. Amen? amen. Okay. So now we're being trained to be workers in the local New Testament church. And what is this job of the church? Well, the church is the pillar of the truth. We are to hold up the truth to preach Christ and to preach the biblical worldview in our generation. And guess what? If the church fails, there won't be 2%. There'll be 0%. We will live in a completely post-Christian society. It's happening quickly, but we can slow it down by being faithful to the truth. Say, what do you mean post-Christian? I mean visit Germany sometime. Go to England. I mean, you go into St. Paul's Cathedral. Wow, this is where Princess Di got married. The architecture of Rin just overwhelms me. It's just amazing. And you look at it, and it's a beautiful building. And you go there on a Sunday, nobody's there. Why? Because slowly but surely throughout Europe, they just begin to acquiesce. They begin to get to the place where no one in many cities holds to a biblical worldview. There's some Christians here and there. There's even a few faithful churches. Thank the Lord for that. But percentage-wise, very, very small Students, learn your biblical worldview from the scripture and never compromise. And go from this place and lift it up. Whether you're the preacher or whether you're teaching or whatever you're doing, realize it is critical and your role is critical. These young men from Bridgeport... All of you from wherever you are, we are fitly joined together for a purpose. And we belong to Jesus, and we belong to one another through Jesus Christ. And we must work to lift up his truth in our city, and in our county, and in our state. Because Christianity is only one generation away from extinction. And I made my choice as a seventh grade boy, and I surrendered my life to preach the word of God. But what about you? And what about your generation? Will you make the difference? Or will you just be in one of these churches that kind of acquiesces along and talks about Jesus some and some psychology and some really radical music and makes zero difference in the world today?
0: You know, Pastor Chapel has actually uh, preached several of these in, in chapel at West Coast Baptist College um, on having a biblical worldview. And I really just think that it's a good recentering of our philosophy, You know, it is our nature as humans to drift from that which we know is true, from that which we know is right. Uh, It is our nature to kind of extend to ourselves um, this benefit of the doubt uh, in situations where really we've gotten off track, we've gotten away from what should be due north. Um, And it's necessary for us as Christians consistently and continually to remind ourselves of those things which we believe to get back into the Bible and to use the Bible as the centering point of our life. Um, Just like having a compass that it doesn't point due north, uh, your life can get off track. And so you've got to get back to the Bible. You've got to get back to preaching um, in order to really redefine which way is the way you ought to go. Um, I love what he said about humanitarian efforts. You know, humanitarian efforts are great, uh, but they're not going to change the world. Uh, and we should not, as Christians, allow our uh, paradigms, the the mentalities that we have, the focuses that we develop, uh, to come about as a result of the things that we've allowed into our life from the world. Uh, you know, the viewpoints of the world are very prevalent right now. Um, And with social media and uh, with TV and movies and all of the different things that the world bombards us with, we have uh, a very difficult time in front of us to stay centered on what the Bible says. Look, as a Christian, look, it's easy to, to get off track and to use the world's viewpoint to dictate the rest of our life. And so we have to get back to the Bible. And I love this little series that he's done on maintaining a biblical worldview. So if you're interested in more of that content, be sure to check that out over there at West Coast Baptist College. Well, I sure am glad that you tuned in today. Thank you for being a part of our podcast. God bless you.